All right, show me you're ready to worship. Let's see some Bibles and hold them up on the count of three. Say word. One, two. <laughs> you know, five years. Five years. You think, you think, you know. One, two, three. Word. All right, one more time. And, and there's a proper way, just so you know, to get the right restore energy, there's a proper methodology to this too. So when I say three, not on two and not on one, but on three, it, word, you kind of want to hold the R a little bit, okay? So ready? One, two, three. Word. Amen. Open up to Exodus 31. Exodus 31, as you turn the pages of Scripture, may we also turn the attention of our heart to the Lord in prayer. So please pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, on, on, on bended knee, we, we, just, we just bow before you, uh, and may the posture of our body reflect the posture of our heart. Um, even though we're not all bowing in, in, in physical form, I just pray right now we just bow spiritually before you as our king, as God, as God who is capable of all things for your glory. And I ask that you would do that in this service right now. Uh, that, that you, would, you would just move us in the direction you would have us go, even if that is contrary to where, would we, where we would want to go, that we surrender and embrace your will, and, and that we would, our, our greatest priority today would not be our own satisfaction, but it would be your glory, and that when we live pursuing your glory, your glory actually satisfies us. This is only possible through the power of your spirit at work within us. Those of us who have been washed by the blood of Jesus, and I just pray you make that powerfully known today. Father, I ask that you intercede on my behalf, uh, remove my folly from the pulpit, and just speak your truth in wisdom. May we have eyes that see and ears that hear the truth of your word. May it move our heads, hearts, hands, and feet to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off just on a really serious note today, family. Um, when, when, you, when you survey people near the end of their life, it's not often that you hear the top regret, the main regret, is what somebody did, right? You, oft, you don't often hear people say their greatest regret was something we, they did. We embrace the grace of God we move on, we get over our mistakes, we, we receive forgiveness, we cope with the things we did. The greatest regret is quite often, and by the way, I'm not saying sin doesn't matter, sin has consequences, okay? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying you won't, you won't care that you messed up, sin has consequences. Um, but what I, what I want to say is, people at the end of their life most often regret what they didn't do. Are you tracking with me, family? It's, it's the thing you didn't do that people most often regret at the end of life. And, and people who are maybe a little bit older, is that maybe your biggest regrets or the things maybe you didn't try rather than the things that you did? Are you tracking with me? Um, I'm telling you that because I, I believe that today God's word is going to empower you to do the thing you've been scared of doing for his glory. I believe today God's word is going to empower you to do the thing for his glory that you've been putting off for a while. I believe, I'm going to say something kind of bold here, so kind of meet me on this one, okay, family? Meet me on this. I believe this. I believe that if you do not sense God calling you to do something uncomfortable or scary, 
that you need to stop right now and have a moment with God and ask God to show you what you're not seeing from Him. Are you tracking with me, family? Uh, Here's what I believe. I believe God loves you right where you are, just as you are, but He's not content to leave you there. Okay, I believe that God has a calling on your life for incredible things for His glory, and He loves you too much to, to lead you through a life of comfort and complacency. I believe God loves you so much that He's going to lead you to something uncomfortable because in that uncomfortable position in life, you will grow more dependent and more intimate with Him. Amen, family? Amen. So today, we're going to look at the God of impossible things. And um, are you guys ready for this? Are you ready for this? Stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him, I for, forgive me for this name, family, because this is really hard, Oholiab, the son of, I can't even say that one, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all men the ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, all the furnishings of the tent, the the table and its utensils, the pure lampstands with all their utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priests, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. As you have your seats... I want you guys to see the reality here uh, by giving you some context to this passage, okay? So so the context to this passage, it is immense, okay? Just turn to someone next to you today who you didn't come here with and just say, this is immense. Just turn to someone right now, okay? It's immense, okay? Okay, here's the reality. Moses' life, are you with me, family? We're, we're, we're going through the whole story of Scripture every week. The sermon comes from last week's reading plan. We're going to read the whole Bible, study the whole Bible together. Since we started Exodus, Moses' life has escalated a little bit. Are you tracking with me? It's es- you know, we, we started Exodus. Moses was born. He grew up a little bit. But things really start to heat up for Moses when, he, when he's about 80 years old. Okay. When Moses is about 80 years old, God calls him in the burning, from the burning bush, right? He's out shepherding. God calls him, and God says to Moses, um, Moses, actually, and you know, Moses is an 80-year-old shepherd because he was in hiding from a murder he committed for 40 years prior, right? And, and God calls Moses, and what, what happens with the calling? Moses' first response is what? Um, excuse, excuse, excuse. He makes these excuses, Right? And then, and then finally, when he runs out of excuses, he says, thanks, God, but maybe send somebody else. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks, Lord Almighty. Right? But here's the reality. God was not content to release Moses from his calling by sending someone else, just as I would imagine God is not content to release you from your calling to send someone else in your place. Amen, family? Amen. Man, he's not content. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. 
And then we have this amazing story where, where God delivers the Israelites from Pharaoh by working through Moses and showing his incredible power. But see, then God kept working with Moses, right? Because as we said a couple weeks ago, God is not content to free us and release us, right? He frees us and receives us onto himself. Amen, family? He receives us onto himself to live empowered by him for his purposes and his glory. He's not content to save you and release you. He saves you, receives you, receives you onto himself. And so this is what God's doing in Moses, using Moses to deliver the people of Israel. And um, even after they were free, God was not content to release Moses from his calling. And so suddenly Moses finds himself in this position. He is... I don't know why this term just sticks for me, but here, here's my term for Moses. He's El Presidente of the nation of Israel. And I don't know why. I don't know why, but that's, that's what I think. I think that's the ancient textual title that he had, El Presidente of Israel. And, and in the last several chapters that we've been studying, God has been fellowshipping with Moses on Mount Sinai. Forty days with God on Mount Sinai. And his leadership position has expanded, right? He's not just in this general, vague form of leadership, right? God is now in, God has now spoken to Moses and delivered this immense set of laws, the moral laws, the ceremonial laws, the civil laws for the entire nation, right? And then in the midst of these laws, God gives these very specific instructions to build the tabernacle, right? And if you don't know what the tabernacle is, it's, it's basically a tent for worship that, that is the placeholder for the temple of God. In fact, this is so powerful that God has them use this, this, this thing they're building, the nation of Israel will use for, do you know how long? About 300 years before God commissioned Solomon to build the temple of God. It's a big deal, right? This is how the nation will worship God, is through the tabernacle from about 1250 B.C. till about 986 B.C., when God blesses Solomon, right? And, and there's all of these intricate things that need to be built for the, ta- for the tabernacle to function. And I want to give you this context because I want you to understand this simple conversation where God says to Moses, Moses, I've appointed these men for this task. It's not just a little conversation about the construction of some materials. Okay, this is immense conversation with huge significance and meaning. Amen, family? From this, I want to present to you two biblical truths today that I think are really going to help us in our calling from God. Truth number one, are you ready for this? God can be depended on to fulfill his impossible calling for you. Every word in that is important. God can be depended on for his impossible calling for you. God can be depended on to fulfill the impossible calling he gives you. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Okay? Let, let me tell you something impossible we're working on. Restore Church is what kind of church? We're all about three things. Let's see if you know it. We're all about... Bible teaching, people reaching, disciple making. Let's do that one more time just because that was really good. What are we all about? Bible teaching, people reaching, And something impossible that we're working on is in the next 20 years, Restore Church is going to make how many disciples? Three million disciples. 
Let's say that one more time because I don't think some of you believe that. How many disciples? In the next 20 years. You want to know how we got to that number? So one day, um, one day God really convicted me. And he, he convicted me. He said, Jeff, it wasn't an audible voice, but he, he was speaking into my heart. Jeff, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm, making, I'm fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm making disciples in your name. And he's like, no, you're not. He, Jeff, what are you doing? I'm making disciples. No, you're not. Jeff, I called you to make disciples of all nations. This is the Great Commission. And I was like, okay, God, okay, right? And so we started to institute some formal discipleship. And I got to be really honest, at first it didn't go well because it was just me buying into the vision. What was really incredible is um, after, after we realized this, one day, it was almost as if God spoke into all of our leadership's lives while we were all sleeping, and one day we all woke up with this same vision. It's almost as if this happened. Like, all of our leadership together were like, this needs to be our church priority. This is God's command to the church. Go make disciples. And so we started making this church initiative, and then all of a sudden, we started making effective disciples. So, so God convicted me, and I'm like, okay, well, how, do, how do I lead the church into this? This just happened a couple years ago. How do I lead the church into effective disciple-making? I'm like, well, we got to have some measurable goals. Fair enough? So I'm like, I'm coming up with this number, and because I like to rest in my own strength rather than depend on God, I'm like, you know what? I think 30,000, 20 years, I think. That's double the city limits of Yankton. I think we can do that. I think, I think I can do that. And God's like, Jeff, come on, man. So it just so happens, he, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading these, some, some really amazing church planting resources, um, and there's this pastor named Dave and his mentor having this conversation. And Dave's mentor comes to Dave, and he says, he checks on him, and he says, Dave, what are you, what are you up to? And he's like, well, I think we're going to, I think, what's next for you? He's like, I think about the next five years, we'll plant five churches. And, and his mentor, we'll call him Bob, Bob's like, Dave, I'm kind of disappointed, man. And Dave's like, why? Isn't this good? Five churches in five years? And he's like, Dave, is your God in a box? Dave says, no. He says, well, why do you keep putting him in one? And Dave says, what do you mean? Well, Bob says to Dave, he says, see, every time I meet with you, I have a bigger vision for your ministry than you do. Nobody should have a bigger vision for your ministry from God than you do. So, Dave says, well, what do you think I should do, Bob? He says, anytime you make a measurable ministry goal, I want you to multiply it times 10 because God has a big calling on your life. And so as a result of this, Dave, Dave Dave clinged to this wisdom from his mentor. And as a result of this, they didn't plant five churches. They lost track at like 250 now. As a result of this, Dave's church is one of the worldwide resources for church planters like me to be equipped to help work with people like you to plant more churches. Amen, family? As a result of this, we actually go on a trip every year to take our leaders to have church planter training by Dave's organization. So as I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, God, how do, I, how do I lead restore to make disciples? I just couldn't get that word out of my head. Multiply it times 10. Multiply it times, I'm like, no, no, no. Multiply it times 10. And I'm like, and I just had to surrender to God. Okay, 30,000 times 10. If I do the math right, I think we're at 3 million. Am I right, family? 
So we're going to, nope. Maybe, I, maybe it was because it was 3,000. Whatever. Whatever number. I ended at three. I ended at, I, I'm, okay, I'm a church planter, not a mathematician. Right? <laughs> Anyways, I multiplied it by 10. And we're at 3 million. And guess what? We're on track. Here's, here's the reality. We're on track. When I started this process, we had, uh, I think, four discipleships. Within that year, last year, we went from four to how many family? 17. And I believe that in 2021, we're going to start 20 new discipleships, having a total of 37. But that's not where we're going to stop. Are you with me, family? 2022, we're going to start 37 new discipleships. 2023, are you ready for this? 74 new discipleships. And 2024, get ready, we're going to start 148 new discipleships, and we're on the way to 3 million in 20 years. Amen, family? Here... here Here's, my, here's, here's what I believe. I believe God will fulfill the impossible callings he gives you. Here's my concern. Some of you will never experience God's impossible provision until you allow yourself to be in an impossible situation. Here's my concern. Some of us are not experienced the impossible provision of God because we're staying in our comfort zone. We're saying, I 3,000 is the only one I can do because that's measurable and I can do that in my own power rather than trusting the power of God to do the impossible. Are you tracking with me, family? Some of you are so resistant to take that leap of faith, but God just brought me here today to push you over the ledge. Okay, uh, that, that's the reality. Most people don't regret what they've done. They regret what they never attempted for the Lord. Some of you are looking at things right now, and it looks impossible, and you're, you're accepting that. Even, even, even outside of, of disciple-making, just 2021 maybe looks impossible to you, and you're accepting that. Because let's be, re be real. The 2020 problems aren't going to stop with the clock at midnight of 2021. Right? And, and 2021 looks impossible, but I believe from God's word that God will fulfill his impossible calling on your life. See, Moses' impossible calling, and I, hope, I want to show you how impossible this was, was to lead the nation of Israel on their journey to the promised land. Our impossible calling is to make disciples who 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 make disciples. I got to do that a long time to get to three million who make disciples, Okay. But what's so incredibly interesting is, is how similar Moses' role was to what I'm describing to you. See, his, his life had escalated quite a bit in the year, year and a half that he's been following the Lord in this calling. He was a shepherd. All of a sudden, he's overnight leader of guess how many people? Well, traditionally, we have Moses leading between 2.4 and 3 million people through the desert to the promised land. The numbers are quite debatable among scholars, but traditionally we have 2.4 to 3 million, okay? And here's part of what makes his, his role nearly impossible, depending on how you measure it. See, see, God wasn't just calling Moses to play follow the leader to the promised land, and he wasn't asking the nation of Israel to follow Moses and to play red light, green light. You guys ever play that? You guys know, everybody, raise your hand if you don't know what red light, green light is. Anybody not? No, don't be afraid. Okay. Well, he wasn't asking them to say, red light, green light, and just hope they can make it to the promised land that way. What God had done to Moses was he delivered the law, and all of a sudden, Moses has to set up an entire cultural value system, an entire way of life, a legal system, a worship structure, 
everything. That's why I call him El Presidente, right? Because all of a sudden, overnight, he has not just this, this vague leadership responsibility, it's a very specific leadership responsibility. And that's where this passage sheds such an encouraging light on the situation. Here's where we see how powerfully God can be depended on for his impossible callings in our lives. Are you guys with me so far? Amen, family? Amen. Okay. So this passage is kind of, it's kind of the wrap-up conversation. God's with Moses for 40 days on Mount Sinai, and the conversation is coming to a close. Okay? And I want you to remember a couple things about Moses. See, when God called Moses, what's his response? Excuses and then pass the torch. Maybe, maybe someone else can do it, right? And then later we see that, and maybe he outgrew that, right? Maybe he, now he's not the next, have somebody else do it guy, and maybe he's what some of you guys are. You're the, I got this guy, okay? Or I got this gal. I got this girl. Which one sounds, you're the, I got this girl, okay? Um, and maybe you're the, I got this girl, and you have an incredibly hard time working with other people to do things because you feel like you've got to do it all yourself. This was what Moses, the kind of leader Moses became, because remember when Jethro came in Exodus 17, Jethro, his father-in-law says, Moses, what are you doing? Moses, well, I'm leading the people. And Mo Jethro's like, son, you got to stop. You're going to die. That's the Jeff Mueller commentary version. He's like, you're going to explode, Jeff Mueller commentary version. But he, he's, like, he's like, you can't handle all of this yourself. You need to, you need to empower more leaders to take care of the, the different levels of thing. And you take care of the hard cases. And Moses wasn't naturally a delegator, was he? Right? And so I'm, I'm wondering if maybe Moses, even though he's, he's fulfilled by the presence of the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai, but I wonder if maybe God looked into his heart and saw Moses is fulfilled, but maybe he's like some of you guys are right now. God, I got this, but man, this is heavy. Are you with me, family? God, I got this, but this is heavy. And so maybe God spoke the same words that he would speak later in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my, yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And maybe he just wanted to make sure Moses knew that he got, he's got him covered, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and that he's got you covered. Because, because God is intervening right now in this passage the same way he intervened when Moses started this journey. Are you guys ready for this? So you remember, when God first called Moses, Moses said, okay, I got this excuse, I got this excuse, have somebody else. And then God's response was what? Moses, I've already got the appropriate help on the way because Aaron's on the way to help you out for the specific need you have. Amen, family? God's doing the same thing. He's saying, Moses, don't worry. I've already appointed the appropriate help for what I've called you to. And I've even got names for them. And I've got helpers for your helpers' helpers because I've got everybody equipped for the thing I have for you. Amen, family? Amen. Let's just turn to someone right now and say he's got it covered. I hope you guys are believing this today. I hope you're believing this because I, I, wonder, I wonder how many of us already have help on the way for the impossible thing God's called us to. But the only thing getting in our way is our own excuses, or even worse yet, our unwillingness to proceed with God's calling for our lives. I wonder. I wonder how many of us have something really heavy on our heart right now 
and it seems impossible. And we will never experience God's provision because right now we're assuming that the impossible is impossible because we don't believe that all things are possible with God right now. And if that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. Actually, I do know. It's the second point. Point number two, okay? Point number two, God can be depended on to fulfill the impossible calling he has for you. Point number two is this. God will empower us for the difficult tasks he calls us to. I want you guys to understand today the hierarchy of challenging tasks. Are you tracking with me? Impossible, difficult, less difficult, easy, okay? You can depend on God for the impossible, and he will empower you for the difficult. Amen? Amen. Man, he will empower you for the difficult. I love, this is the attitude of the author of Hebrews when he writes the benediction to the letter to the Hebrews. It says this, it says, May the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Oh, amen, 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 amen. Then verse 21, May the God of peace equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So go back to Exodus. The more you study this, for lack of a better word, I'm sorry, the cooler it gets, okay? So the, co- the passage, if you're tracking with me, is a conversation between God and Moses, but it's about Bezaliel and Oholiab. It's about them. They're not dealing with the, the impossibilities Moses is dealing with. They're dealing with the difficult task God has appointed them to. Are you guys tracking with me? Are you following me, family? And so, so here's what they're being called to. I want you to understand. Moses has the impossible task of leading through this. They have the very difficult task of the specific implementation Right? Look, at, look at the text, verses 6 through 11, okay? That they may make all that I have commanded, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, the furnishings, the table, the t- utensils, the lampstand, its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, the basin, the stand, the finely worked garments for the priesthood, um, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense. All that God commanded, they have the difficult task of the specific implementation. I want you to understand something about this, okay? These guys... Have just the entire nation just spent 430 years in slavery, right? Now, I'll be honest. I don't know all the intricacies of the relationship between an Egyptian slave master and their slave, but I would go out on a limb and say, I don't think Egyptian slave masters sent their Hebrew slaves to night school for seamstressing and making holy priesthood garments. I would just go out on a limb and say, I don't think that they went to seamster or seamstress school to make priesthood garments. Are you with me? I don't think that happened. I, I, I don't think that these Hebrew slaves were given permission to maybe go hang out in Pharaoh's treasury and practice molding fine metals. I, just, I don't think that was maybe one of their privileges. Can you kind of meet me in the middle on that? I don't, I don't think. Maybe, maybe there's some stuff there I don't understand, but I don't think so. So here's what I need, I need you to understand. The, enta- the task they're giving is incredibly difficult. Not impossible, incredibly difficult. They could probably figure it out, but it's not going to be very easy. And so here, here's where this is so encouraging. God made it very clear that he has it covered that he can be dependent upon for the impossible and he will power us for the difficult. 
And I want to be really clear and really careful in how we approach this, okay? So I want to, I want to quote a pastor far wiser than I am on this because I want, I, want I want you to understand God will do impossible things and empower his children for difficult things, but I'm not presenting to you. Everyone say, not presenting. I'm not presenting to you a prosperity, name it, and claim it theology. I'm not presenting that to you today. I don't want you to hear that today. If you hear that today, just, just quiet your heart because that's not what I'm telling you. Okay? We are talking about God empowering people who are serving with their hearts dedicated to the Lord, not people who are attempting to build their own kingdom in opposition to the Lord. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so let me, let me, just, let me just tell you what, what Pastor David Jeremiah says about this. I love how he says this. He says, what's good about the name it and claim it of school is that it encourages us not to limit ourselves or God. And I would agree with that. But he said, what's wrong with this approach is it misapplies the words of Jesus. For example, when Jesus says all things are possible for God, Jesus spoke that the day of his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus believed it was possible for him not to go to the cross, he also believed it was possible for God to keep him from that suffering, yet what? He went to the cross anyways, right? He goes on to say, our beliefs and possibilities have to be in line with the will of God. That's how Jesus lived his life and how he taught his disciples to live. When our, when our lives are lived in obedience to God's will, nothing is impossible. So I love this. I love this. You're going to want to write this down. Dream big, but dream biblically. Is that preacher what? Man, I wish it was mine, but that, give all, get Pastor Jeremiah nailed it, right? Okay? Just glory to God. I don't even want any credit for anything. Just glory to God. Okay? But this is something we can assume about these two men, that they were living in obedience to God's will. The text is written so that you would assume these guys are living in obedience to God's will. So Bezaliel is apparently the foreman of the project, supernaturally gifted to handle more projects with greater wisdom. When you look at the text, Okay? And um, yet we already know God is providing helpers for the helper. We see that in the text as well. And we're to assume that his life is dedicated to the Lord because of the family lineage mentioned. So he's the grandson of her. Those of you, those of you who know your biblical history really well and you've been reading Exodus, you know who her is. Her was a faithful man of God who in Exodus 17, there's this beautiful story. God, they, have to, they have to defeat one of their enemies and God says, I will deliver them as long as you hold your staff up. Do you guys remember this? If you, whenever you let your staff down, you will lose the fight. And so Moses, the battle's taken too long. So Moses' arms get tired. He starts to let it down. He's like, oh no, we're losing. Well, her and I believe Aaron are the ones that help him keep the staff up when his hands get tired. This is written to inform you that God appointed the ones who were faithful in pursuing his will. Man, I love it. I love it. And then Oholiab, this is magnificent. God appointed a man to make the curtains for the tabernacle. And you know what his na name means? Father's tent. You think about this, right? God appointed a man to build the tent of worship for our Father in heaven, and he appointed the man whose name is Father's tent. See, I believe these were godly men who were naturally attracted to craftsmanship of some sort, Maybe they didn't get to mess around with these things, but they tinkered. I'm, I'm sure they did. And maybe one of them was a slave who was in charge of his master's house like Joseph was. I don't know, and I don't want to rewrite history with things I don't know. But I, here's what I do know, okay? 
I do know that these men were pursuing the will of God, and as such, God equipped them for the difficult task at hand to continue serving the God they were serving. Amen? Man, this was very difficult. Not, Not impossible, very difficult, but God empowers us for the difficult tasks. Now, I want to tell you, I started to tell you about our discipleship initiative. What many of you don't know is, is <laughs> how bad it went when we started, when it was just one guy trying to do it. What you, else you don't know is once we made this a church-wide initiative and we said we're going to be a congregation of people pursuing the will of God, because listen, the Great Commission, these are Jesus' words to the church as he, before he ascended to heaven. He said to what? He said to the church, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, for behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This was his command to us. And we looked around and we're like, what does it look like when Jesus makes disciples? Well, discipleship for Jesus was not a, those of you who are in discipleship, it's not a, man, ooh, that was weak. It's not a, it's a, it's a relationship. It's an intentional relationship with progress and purpose, okay? To become more Christ-like, to, to build each other up, to do the work of the ministry to serving God. And we're like, we're not doing that. When we, came, when we made it a church-wide initiative, we said, this is who we're going to be, not just something we do. It's who we are. You know what happened? God blessed us. We got really good at it. And I say that humbly, but I just want to do the humble brag on my church family. We got really good at it. Went from 5 to 17, and I know we're going to go to 37 in 2020. And I'll be completely honest with you. There are other churches asking for insight, wanting to mimic how you guys make disciples. We, we, we are building a position where we get to consult other ministries how to make disciples like Jesus. I'll be completely honest with you. One of the main driving factors for this next church plant that's going to happen Easter 2021, do you know one of the main factors that influenced that decision? They're so compelled by the way you're making disciples that they wanted to join our ministry and make disciples with you. Not impossible, but man, I'm just telling you, it's really hard. I believe in a God who equips his children to do the difficult tasks he calls us to. Okay? I want to make sure you realize this. I want you to hear me very clearly right now. Whatever your calling is, whatever he is calling you to, and I want you to hear this really carefully, the size of your responsibility is not how you measure the value of the task. I'm going to say that again because some of you got to write this down, okay? The size of your responsibility is not how you measure the value of your task, okay? See, we're going to make three million disciples, but you want to know how we're going to be really good at making three million disciples? By loving and valuing one disciple at a time really well. Amen, family? Just one disciple really well. Whatever that task is. Man, I love our sister Tabby. She's so awesome. She helps run our setup. She runs our setup team. She's the leader of that team. And we just talked about like how important, you guys all have a connect card in your, in your chairs. And I'm going to give you at the end of the message in like, you know, two hours or so, I'm going to give you a chance to fill one out. And because that one task as small as the responsibility is, is not invaluable. Whatever God's calling you to, the, the, the size of the responsibility is not how you value the task. Amen, family? And I need you guys to believe this today because I know some of you have a calling and it maybe, sound, it maybe seems like it's just a small, invaluable thing, but I'm telling you, 
Man, what's, what's really amazing is that in the kingdom of God, every person in every position in the kingdom of God matters. The size of your responsibility is not how you measure the value of the task. And this is in the text. Okay, I'm not just saying stuff to you. This is in the text. In verse 6, God said, I have given all able men the ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. What does that tell you? God named the leaders of, of the task, the foremen, but he wanted Moses to know that all of the serving men in this task were blessed by God for the service. I want you to understand that. Every task of every person, every contribution was supernaturally blessed by God for that. So what does that tell us? The size of your responsibility is not how you measure the value of your task. Some of you guys need to remember this. Some of you guys need to believe this today. Some of you guys, that's why you came here today. So as we, as we wrap up in a few minutes, how do we, what do we do with this? I've given you two really good biblical truths. Okay, what do you do with this? Number one, God can be depended on to fulfill his impossible calling for you. Number two, God will empower you for the difficult task he calls us to. And kind of a sub-thought there, the size of your responsibility is not how you measure value. But what do we do with this information today? I didn't want to make this so easy for you. I want to make this so easy. I just wrote three steps. Three steps for you to do this, okay? Step number one is this. Step number one, identify the dream or conviction God has given you. Identify it. If you cannot come up with anything that God's calling you to, that's your next step. Find out what God is calling you to. In fact, we do a calling class. Fill out a connect card, hand it to me after the service, or text the church number, and Sophie will make a list for you. And the, the list, just text us your name and the words calling class, and we'll put you on a list. We will do anything short of sin to equip you for the work of ministry God has called you to. Step number two, and, and actually listen, God often gives you skills or passions or desires for what he's calling you to. It might be in a line with something you're already doing. My goal isn't to preach 52 sermons a year and then give you 52 tasks to pile onto your life, make your life really heavy. A lot of them actually just blend into that which you're already doing. Are you tracking with me, family? It might be a passion you already have that you want to use more for the glory of God. And maybe he's calling you to just view, view the impossible version of what you're already doing and trust him to deliver it. Amen? Step number one, identify the dream you have or the conviction God has given you. Number two, as you discern the calling, decide if you want to lead in the pursuit or be a helper on your team because we'll meet you for both. One of our core values is we want to train leaders and equip helpers. And whatever size the responsibility, that's not how we measure the value of the task. So there you go. Do you want to lead in the pursuit? Man, I love lead leadership development. That's my number one job. Preaching's not my main job. I can have lots of people preach for me. Developing and shepherding and taking care of you guys between Sundays, that's my job. And I would love to lead a team of leaders more than we have. I would love to train helpers. We're going to do a training every eight weeks in 2021. Every eighth Sunday, we're going to have church training. All of our small groups are going to come together for church-wide training in 2021. All right, you guys ready for number three? You guys ready? Okay. Then, so, so number one, identify. Number, number two, decide, lead, or help. And then number three, go to gospel community or talk to a leader, and we will empower you. We are committed to walking beside you in your calling. Remember, God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't call you and release you. He calls you and receives you, and he receives you into the church of God for his glory and purposes that we serve together. Amen?
The way we do it is, is we, I, I believe so many people are going to respond today that I can't, I can't talk to all of you about it. That's why I want you to go to gospel community. Your leaders are going to walk through that with you. Man, isn't that beautiful? The idea that so many people respond to God's call today. That our biggest challenge today wasn't that nobody responded, that's that too many responded. Everybody online, shoot us a message. Comment on here. Comment, I'm in. Comment, help me. Comment, whatever is on your heart, because we want everybody in on this. I said this when I started. I'm going to close with these words, and our worship team can come up. Give, take about one minute. Count in your head about one minute and come up, worship team. Um, but I, I said something kind of bold when we started, and I want, to, I want to end with this thought, okay? I believe that God is calling you to something. And I believe from God's word that he's calling you to do something that's scary and uncomfortable for his glory. And if you do not have that right now, I believe that you should stop right now, even during this last song, if you have to sit quietly in your seat rather than stand up to sing, that you need to stop right now and ask God to show you what you're not seeing from him. See, most people, worship team, come on up, most people don't regret what they've never done. Sorry, don't regret what they did. They regret what they've never done. Family, don't let the calling of the Lord be on that list. So we're going to pray. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. And everybody online, I would like you to do the same. And, and right now, if God's speaking to you and if he's calling you to a next step, I'd just like you to raise your hands and I'm going to pray over you. And Father God, we, we do, we pray. We just pray that with, with, arms, with arms in the air, responding to your call with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, that, that we just, we, we respond. And God, I pray that you would just bless convicted hearts. That we, we would take that next step to pursue your impossible calling. And Father, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that we're going to make everything as simple as possible today. We're going to make it as simple as A, B, C. Father, right now, I pray that people would pray in their heart, A, we admit. I admit I'm a sinner and I need saved from my sin. Admit it. Father, I pray right now that you're doing that in people's heart. They admit and then they be, they believe. Believe that Jesus alone can wash away their sins, that Jesus alone can save, and then C, confess. Confess that Jesus is Lord, that I surrender to him today. Lord, A, B, C, admit, believe, and confess. I pray you're doing that here and around the world today. I pray that people are praying this in their hearts and they make themselves known today. God, may we respond to your word. May we respond to your word today, Father. I pray for all the blessings and all the secret things in our hearts right now that haven't been revealed right now, but you know them. And I pray that you intercede. You convict and you bless. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we lead